and welcome to Twigged, a light-hearted plant-based podcast exploring the vegetal roots of history and folklore, what might kill you and what makes a decent snack. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Alex, and I love ferreting out the historic and folkloric contexts of plants via the divine magic of the internet search engine. I'm Alice, and I'm a plant enthusiast and a big fan of folklore and ferrets. Did you not think it was a really funny word? I didn't think about it. I think I wrote it pretty last minute. I was just like, what do I do? Ferreting! This week is garlic. Yeah! Smelly, but delicious. So delicious. So delicious. Quite stinky. But I've got a little remedy for that. I'll tell you about oh, later. Oh, so do I. Oh, I wonder if they're the same one. I wonder if they are. <laughs> I guess most people will be quite familiar with garlic. It's pretty widespread worldwide in, in yeah. cuisine of all sorts. And used pretty much daily, I would say, by most people, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's been used for millennia. So apparently it was cultivated at least 4,000 years ago and had probably been used as a seasoning for about 3,000 years before that. Oh, wow. Yeah, although it has come in and out of fashion in various societies at different points in time. Sometimes it was like the food for poor people and sometimes it was, you know, classy and French. The Victorians were pretty into it because it was... uh, it was classy in French. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a little quote from Don Quixote oh. about that by Cervantes that says, Do not eat garlic or onions, for their smell will reveal that you are a peasant. Oh. Yeah. So it wasn't always classy. And apparently in the UK in like the 19, I think it was the 1940s and 50s, everyone was like, no, we hate that tasteful stuff. It was all just boiled vegetables and... No flavor. Boiled meat, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But back to the good stuff. So I read that garlic is one of the oldest cultivated plants in the world and that there are Sanskrit records documenting the use of garlic remedies from 5,000 years ago. So, yeah, it's been on the go for a very long time in a lot of places. Shall I tell you a little bit about the nomenclature of it, I suppose? Oh, Yes, please. So the Latin name for the most common garlic is Allium sativum, although there are lots of different types of garlic that exist. I think I read uh, that there are over 400 kinds of garlic. And there's every forager's favorite, the wild garlic, which is, well, in this country, it's Allium ursinum or bear's garlic or like bear's onion family thing. Or Allium trichocum in North America is what they call wild garlic. Allium ursinum here is really widespread, quite common. I mean, you should never pick too uh, vigorously when you're foraging. You should always leave a good number of plants and just take what you need. But in North America, they're actually quite rare and threatened in some areas. So a lot more care needs to be taken with the wild garlic over there. Oh, wow. The genius, the genius, (laughs) the genus is allium, uh, which is the onion genus. And sativum means cultivated. Garlic, which is our common name for it in English, is Anglo-Saxon originally, and it comes from gar for spear and lack, which meant plant. So garlack, spear plant. So I saw garlic described as a herb, a spice, a vegetable, a bulbous flowering plant. Um, So what is it? Is it all of the above? I guess so. I mean, it is a flowering plant. It It's a pot herb, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. it? 
it gets used to flavor things. Yeah. Maybe because of its taste, that's why some people might refer to it as a spice. Yeah. Spices tend to be dried and ground, but you can do that with garlic. It's multi-purpose, which is fun. Did you see where it's from originally? No. I think I saw it and I was like, Alex will hopefully write that down. (laughs) So it is originally from Central Asia, like so many plants. And then thousands and thousands of years ago, spread and and reached other climes and areas. We'll make it brief. Garlic. It's a bulb made up of cloves. Those are the main thing we tend to use for cooking. Oh God, I've given given the game away cooking-wise. Oh. Damn it. Oh, I'm sorry, it was going to be a surprise. <laughs> Alice, can you eat it? Yeah, you can. <laughs> and you should. So made up of cloves, and then underneath them, they tend to have these little um, fibrous roots. And then out of the top of it, up above the soil, you get these slender, flat green leaves, and you get flowers on them as well. So you can have like pinkish, purplish, sometimes white, I think, flowers. You can use all of the parts of the plant. So you can eat the scapes and the leaves and the flowers. Then obviously the clove. The only part that you might not want to eat is kind of the film that covers the clove. It won't kill you, but it probably won't give you any enjoyment either. You'll pick it out of your mouth and go, (laughs) Yeah, and as we, as most of us know, those of us with a sense of smell, it has a very distinct smell. And that's one of the things when you are going out for wild garlic, in order to not confuse it with Lily of the Valley, it's uh, it's got a very pungent, garlicky smell. I've got a little bit about the science of cutting it. Someone had told me once that the way you cut garlic has a massive influence on the way that it tastes. If you want the absolute strongest taste of garlic, if you chop it really finely or you press it or you like otherwise somehow get it as kind of scratched up as possible, then it damages the plant cells and this galvanizes the chemical interactions between the enzymes in the garlic and the amino acids slash sulfur compounds in there. Something to do with that. I think I got it. Point is, if you smash it up, it tastes stronger. And if it's raw, obviously it's like sharper and and more um, spicy. So cooking reduces the intensity of it as does slicing it with a really sharp knife. So if it's a really clean cut, then it doesn't release as much of the garlicky flavor. So it depends what you want in the dish. That's really interesting because when I've been using garlic in recipes and I've always wondered, does it make a difference? Yeah, so apparently it, it does make a difference and it, it also depends on your preference. Mm-hmm. And have you ever had, I remember like one time when I was a student, I was cooking a chicken. I like chopped up some garlic on top and then the garlic turned blue. No. Has that ever happened to you? So it freaked me out, obviously, because I was 17 and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> My food's blue. But it turns out it's a thing. There's something to do with the sulfur compounds. They can react with cooking or pickling in certain ways and turn either blue or green. Wow. Yeah. Didn't, I'd never even heard of that. It's freaky. I thought I'd tell you about some of the classic garlicky dishes. Classic according to me. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we can't have a podcast about garlic without mentioning the humble garlic bread. And Absolutely. Yeah. Also, the garlic pizza bread... Always great for a carb lover. Garlic butter melting out of a chicken Kiev. What are all the different culinary forms of garlic? So, fresh garlic, roasted garlic, smoked garlic, garlic paste, garlic puree, pickled garlic, garlic powder, garlic granules. 
but fresh is better in terms of health benefits as well as I think in terms of taste. And a little note on storing garlic to get the most out of it. So garlic likes to be kept at room temperature, out of light, like mm-hmm. vampires, <laughs> which we'll come to later. And it's it lasts a really long time if you leave it attached to the root. So you should just break off a clove at a time as you need it. And oh, after eating all of that garlic, if you're worried about having very garlicky breath, you just need to chew some parsley to freshen your breath. I saw that. I also saw that lemon can be another one. Yeah. And if you like rub either the bottom of a stainless steel sink or a stainless steel implement under cold water with your garlicky finger. This isn't to do with breath, but it's to do with your hands when they get all gross and garlic smelling. That's meant to take away the smell of garlic from your skin. I've found a Shakespeare quote to do with garlic breath. Oh, yeah. So it's from Midsummer Night's Dream. And it's when, you know, when all the um, the mechanicals are putting on the play for for the wedding. Mm-hmm. So the character Bottom, who's leading this troupe of amateur actors, says to the rest of them, most dear actors eat no onions nor garlic for we are to utter sweet breath. Oh, very good. Go yeah. so they didn't know about the parsley then. They Yeah. Oh, there's such a thing as an allium phobia. Some people are afraid yeah. of alliums, which is fascinating. Yeah, and some people are advised not to eat them because of certain diets or um, health conditions. Mm-hmm. So they're not absolutely always good for everyone. Exactly. And they're really not good at all for cats and dogs. Any alliums, not just garlic, apparently. Yeah. Hmm. There's an old folk rhyme that goes, eat onions in March and garlic in May, then the rest of the year your doctor can play. Garlic is an excellent source of vitamin B6. Um, It's a really good source of manganese, selenium, vitamin C, also contains phosphorus, calcium, potassium, iron and copper. It's also thought to have anti-cancer properties. So studies on this are actually ongoing at the moment. So we don't know really any concrete information. But it's thought that garlic can slow down or maybe even stop the development of cancerous cells in the body. It could also reduce your risk of heart attack, heart disease um, and lower cholesterol and lower blood pressure. It has antimicrobial and antifungal properties And it has been used to treat skin infections and even insect bites. It's kind of like the multi-purpose everything herb. And actually, that's kind of what it was throughout history as well. Various famous physicians used it for tons of different purposes in Greece, India, Egypt, China, Babylonia, Rome, and, and lots more. It was just like everywhere. So in India, more than 2,000 years ago, garlic was used for heart problems, arthritis, fatigue, and parasites. In ancient Greece and Rome, physicians used them for infections, wounds, cancer, digestive issues, heart problems, leprosy, epilepsy, tapeworm, colds, snake bite, to regulate menstrual cycles, for seasickness, and for tons of other things. Uh, It was used as a remedy during previous epidemics of cholera and tuberculosis. Oh, cool. In ancient Greece, athletes would eat copious amounts, apparently, before competing, and soldiers would eat it before going into battle to give them strength and maybe for endurance as well. Uh, Roman soldiers also ate it for for courage, and they would plant it in the lands that they they conquered as they went. Yeah. uh, Which may be one of the ways that it ended up spreading to some, some areas. Although that is conjecture on my part, not necessarily fact. In 
ancient Egypt, it was apparently a staple food for enslaved people and other people who did physically taxing labor because it was meant to keep them healthy and strong. And it was quite like an important bedrock of, uh, of nutrition. Apparently, cloves of garlic were found scattered throughout the tombs in the pyramids. Yeah. Because uh, it was really important to the pharaohs. And I also saw that the ancient Egyptians ate it in like much larger quantities than we would today because they thought it was really good for protecting against illnesses. Yeah. Oh, so I think it was in 2015. There was an experiment that was done by a microbiologist from the University of Nottingham and a an Anglo-Saxon scholar who kind of had started talking about the possibility of recreating some historic medicine. They decided to recreate this recipe from Bald's Leech Book, which is an old English medical book from about a thousand years ago. The point of this medicine originally was it was meant to cure styes in your eye. They kind of started gathering the ingredients, and apparently one of the more challenging parts was finding ingredients that would be similar to what they would have had a thousand years ago, because over the intervening thousand years, lots of crops have evolved and changed. There have been lots of modifications done to them and different breeding for for different attributes so they had to find kind of as close to oldie timey garlic as they could find the recipe is made of garlic crop leek which is leek essentially wine and bullock's gall which is cow bile and so these were yeah i know (laughs) so these were to be mixed and then they were left to stand in a brass vessel for nine days that was the the recipe they found by the end of the nine days that because the the garlic and the leeks had some soil on them, there would have been some bacteria in the soil. And by the end of the nine days, that bacteria had been killed off. And they then tested it on Staphylococcus aureus, which is also known as MRSA, which is an antibiotic version of the sty-causing bacteria. And it killed 90% of it. Wow. And the funny thing is that each individual ingredient didn't really have an enormous effect. Like none of these things on their own did a huge amount. But if they followed the recipe and if they mixed those things together the way they were told to, it had an enormous effect. That's amazing. Yeah, isn't it incredible? In one of the things that I read, it says that this suggests that at the time that it was being created, a thousand years ago, there must have been some kind of empirical experimentation system that... I mean, would predate the scientific method, but did involve trial and error and using different quantities and seeing what effect it had. There was like some real method to it. Yeah. Maybe. I have a random tidbit. Great. Tell me your random tidbit. In Korea, it was believed the tigers disliked garlic. So people would eat cloves of pickled garlic when they were going on journeys where they were afraid that they might come across a tiger. This is really interesting and it actually ties into a story I have. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was going to tell a super brief story about the kingdom of Gojoseon. I'm so sorry about my pronunciation. Hwanung, who is the son of the Lord of Heaven, wanted to live on Earth. He really liked the, the mountains and, and the valleys and he really wanted to live among them. And so his father allowed him to do so. So he went with 3,000 followers and founded a place called the City of God. So he was then approached by a tiger and a bear who asked him to make them human. He said that in order to become human, they would have to eat only mugwort and garlic and stay out of the sun for a hundred days. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
The tiger gave up after 20 days, but the bear managed to do it and then became a woman, who then became the wife of Huanang, and together they had a son who founded the kingdom of Gojoseon. Oh, wow. Which was the first kingdom in Korea. So that kind of makes sense with the tiger not liking garlic. Yeah. Nice little tie-in. So I think we're probably all familiar with the idea of vampires being scared off by garlic. Mm -hmm. And I'll go into a little bit more detail about vampires in a minute because, let's face it, vampires are great. Yeah. (laughs) Possibly the reason that these legends came to be is because in like medieval times people didn't really have the same understanding that we have today about the spread of infectious diseases so they thought that vampires could contribute to the spread of diseases oh interesting how i think they thought that by by biting people they spread them around or that kind of thing yeah i mean so it would yeah characteristics that people associated with vampires could be compared to symptoms of lots of different diseases. Oh, interesting. So, for example, the disease porphyria makes you sensitive to sunlight. Oh, yeah. Tuberculosis can cause you to waste away. And we have that idea that vampires are really pale and skinny. Pellagra is a disease that thins the skin. And rabies is a disease that can even cause people to bite. And then people have sensitivities caused by various different things sometimes. That means they are, they don't like um, harsh sunlight and they don't like garlic. Oh, right. Is it like the smell maybe? Yeah. Is it like harsh smells? Of, oh, that's so interesting. Vampires appear in folklore from so many different countries, particularly across Europe. And in the past, vampires sort of had slightly different images. But I think the image that is most familiar to listeners in the UK is probably the one that's inspired by Bram Stoker's 1897 novel, Dracula, which is thought of as the quintessential vampire novel and a really classic horror. And there are lots of different stories on how a vampire might come to be and how you can get rid of them. So apotropix are objects that can ward off vampires and protect you from oh, them. Oh, right. I was quite surprised that they had a proper name. There's a name for it. I guess there's been enough of a worry. One of the most iconic of these is probably garlic. So others include branches of hawthorn and wild rose, um, holy water, a crucifix... You've probably seen this kind of thing portrayed in films. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy, exactly. Love Buffy. And people would, if they were going on a mission to try and kill a vampire, they would want to be completely protected. So they would make a garland of garlic bulbs and hang it around their neck even. That would be quite pretty, actually. I love it when they Uh, braid the scapes together. Yeah. People also used to hang up wreaths or garlands of garlic in their houses or outside the doors of their houses to deter vampires or just evil spirits in general from entering. Um, It was a tradition that you would hang up or the midwife would hang up garlic in a birthing room to protect the newborn baby from evil spirits straight away. And people would rub garlic onto like their windows and doorways so that there was a much more potent smell of it um, as another way of deterring the evil spirits and vampires. It did make me remember that I read that 
garlic is meant to repel mosquitoes. I heard that, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, well, even if you don't believe in vampires... Maybe smearing a bit of garlic around your doors and windows isn't the worst idea. Yeah. Having said that, I eat a lot of garlic and I'm like catnip to mosquitoes. Mosquitoes love me as well. Yeah. yeah. It's crap. Yeah. I'd also seen that it's meant to kill and or repel ticks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And another thing bug related. Sorry, I'm now bringing us into bugs. I, vampires are way more interesting, but I'm going to ruin it by doing... <laughs> Let's hear about bugs. <laughs> Let's hear about bugs. So you can also make a spray made out of chopped up garlic and water to get rid of aphids. Oh, right. On your I should try that. Yes. The only problem is I've also read that it can deter other good bugs. Yeah. So like it might make pollinators not really want to hang out with uh, your plants either, which is less great. Yeah. That's the end of my bug based stuff. I read quite a lot of like what I thought were interesting facts about um, how to do away with vampires so first of all, people were worried that dead bodies would turn into vampires. So to stop this from happening to them, they would stick them through the heart. And sometimes they would bury them face down so that they couldn't claw their way oh out. Oh, God. Or they would even put loads and loads of like millet or like a really tiny grain on top of the grave. So it would apparently take the vampire ages and ages counting all the grains. I mean, why they wanted to count the grains, I don't really know. But oh, that interesting. Was... They're like, they're obsessed with math. <laughs> 432. 433. God, I just want to go bite someone, but I must get through this millet. First. I'm so thirsty, but the millet needs counting. Sometimes when people were really, really ill and really near death, people would mistake them for being dead. And sometimes if people were even like really, really drunk, they might be mistaken for being dead. And then if they were apparently coming back to life, then people would be afraid that they were a vampire. And then but, stake him through the heart. Yeah, but oh, they God. were they were just really, really hungover. Oh, yeah. I've always found the stories fascinating about people getting buried when they're not quite dead because yeah. they just didn't have the means to know for sure necessarily. There were some, I don't think there are tons of instances, but there were some where they did the whole bell and then the string into the coffin just in case. Yeah. Uh, but it did make me think when you said the thing about the millet, I was like, yeah, but also a nightmare if you are trying to claw your way out and you're... <laughs> An alive person, not a vampire. Oh God. Yeah, it happened. They have like coffins that have claw marks on the inside and stuff like that. Yeah. Horrible. Lots of different <laughs> random stories, but um, make sure you have your garlic with you. Yeah. And yeah. I think the more potent, the better. So like a nice big fresh, like fresh stuff. bulb. Yeah, yeah. No, like powdered garlic. That might not be enough to save you. Thanks for the vampire stuff. I love a vampire story yeah it makes me really want to read dracula oh you're so much more intellectual than me i was gonna say it makes me want to rewatch all of buff <laughs> <laughs> i have one last tiny thing yeah it's a our favorite kind of link oh yes a tenuous link tenuous link <laughs> there's a brief potential mention of garlic in the odyssey Cool. Maybe. So in this part of the Odyssey, Odysseus has been to the Trojan War. It's it's happened. It lasted, I think, upward of 10 years. Yeah. And he's finally on his way home from Troy, back to his beloved wife. And he ends up landing on the island of Aiaia, or Aia, where he and his crew end up meeting the sorceress Circe. 
who Alice and I both love because we've read the same Madeline Miller book called Circe, which is fantastic. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Top book. Circe was the daughter of Helios, who was the sun god, and Percy, a sea nymph. And for various reasons, she ends up living alone on this island, which is heavily populated by lions and wolves, but she's made them oddly domestic because she has this power over animals. She has a lot of animal-related powers. And one of them is that she has this habit of drugging people who happen upon her island and changing them into animals. When Odysseus and his crew arrive on her island, a few of them go up to her home first, and she gives them a feast, and it turns them into pigs. But it wasn't the entire crew. Some of them had stayed behind, including Odysseus. I think they're securing the ship or something. And one man has seen it happen, and so he runs back to warn Odysseus and the rest of them. Before he goes and has to meet her himself, Hermes comes to Odysseus, the god Hermes, and gives him this herb called moly, which is thought to be garlic. So Hermes gives him the moly slash garlic, and tells Odysseus to mix it into Circe's wine when they meet. And he does, and this gives him the ability to resist her magic, and this, in in the Odyssey, makes her fall in love with him. And so he's then able to persuade her to return his men to human form. But then they all have such a wonderful time, and he and Circe become lovers. Um, he gets bathed and fed and wined, etc. He just loves being on this island. So he kind of forgets that he meant to go back home to Ithaca and see his wife. He has two sons with Circe. And then eventually some of his men kind of gently remind him or, you know, threaten mutiny unless they go <laughs> back home to, to Ithaca. So that's it. That's the tenuous link to garlic. Although, yeah, that. apparently they, they do think that the moly was maybe probably garlic. Um, great. That's everything I've got. Uh, ending on a tenuous link, unless you've got something else. Let me check my notes. Satan, <laughs> festival, and everything in between, really. Excellent. Thank you so much for listening to the final episode of season one of Twigged. Can you believe we've had 14 episodes? I actually can't. That's the, a lot of talking. It's a lot. Oh God, we've wanged on for ages. And a lot of listening. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so get in touch. We can line up for season two. Our Instagram is at Twigged Podcast. We also have a website. You can go to twiggedpodcast.com. And if you would like to send us an email, our email address is twiggedpodcast at gmail.com. Don't miss us too much. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye. Should I try and do a sexy voice? <clears throat> Yes. I don't have one. <laughs>